0: On this prequel episode, we have fan reaction for Dolan's Cadillac. We're learning about the problematic side of Stephanie Meyer and previewing Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn.
1: I like how you said the problematic side as if there's a non-problematic side.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books, prequel... Before the finish line The last prequel up. That's not true We decided we're going to do one more kind of mini
1: We're, we're going to do like an in-between episode So
0: uh, if you're listening to this We're going to do uh, next week Next Wednesday is our Breaking Dawn part one Movie discussion breakdown And then the Wednesday after that Is part two We're not mm-hmm. going to put uh, a whole two weeks in between the movies uh, so This is the same thing we did with Harry Potter I believe Yes. Um, back in the day But uh, we are going to do a short uh, prequel episode that will probably release on like Saturday or Sunday or something like that, um, where we're going to do fan reaction and stuff to part one. And we're going to preview the second movie, but we won't have
1: um, we won't have a learning thing, a learning thing. We won't have a
0: book preview. Yeah, There's
1: no point in previewing the book twice. So it'll be
0: a slightly shorter, but um, and it'll come out in between when a normal episode would come out. So that's what we're going to do for that. But on this episode, we have some new patrons, first things first. First up, we have three new patrons. Since our last prequel episode, we appreciate you very much. All at the $5 level, we're getting access to our bonus content. Uh, I believe probably a lot of these people came to check out Midnight Sun Review and Discussion, which is out now, if you are a $5 and above patron. And we still may release some something of that for non patrons. We're still discussing and trying to figure out what we want to do there. Um, probably not the whole thing. We don't know yet. We're we're trying to figure that out. But our new patrons at the Hugo Award winning level are Shadow Shroom. Great, great, great name. Great name. Tarn Somerville Fletcher. And, and I had to Google this because it is in Russian. Uh I thought Alina Delet was tough. Uh this <laughs> one is. Maria Meshkova, which sounds not too difficult, right, when I say that, but uh, the way it's written is in actual Russian on on Patreon, so I had to copy and paste it into Google Translate, and this is what Google Translate told me this name sounds like in English. I don't know if it's accurate. Let us know. Uh, It says Maria, M-A-R-I-Y-A, and then Meshkova, M-E-S-H-K-O-V-A, but the letters in... (laughs) <laughs> in russian looked like mapner Mukoba, but i have assumed that that it was not a w it's a letter that looks kind of like a w that i seems like a, a russian that,
1: yeah we don't have in our alphabet that
0: based on what it translates to must not be some sort of sh sound it would yeah. seem uh but it kind of looks like a w and then the the p looking letter must pnr must be oh near Marie near, i don't know I have no idea. It was interesting.
1: We don't know. <laughs>
0: I put it into Google <laughs> Translate and I was not sure what to expect. And it was like Maria. And I was like, that's not all right. It's not what I was expecting based on those letters in the first name. But I don't know Russian. So we appreciate you very much. Thank you for supporting us. And as always, we have our Academy Award winning patrons. And they are Winchester's Never Die, Kelly Napier, Gray Tower, Dory, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby says black lives and trans lives matter. Trans lives. Yes. I always want to add or subtract an S from that. It is
1: trans lives. Matter. Yeah. Yes.
0: Something about that is makes my my brain like not work correctly. Supernatural is good, but it's not really worth all the time required. Kind of what I figured, but I appreciate <laughs> your take on it. And finally, as always, Alina, the let Thank you all. So very much for supporting us at the Academy Award winning level. If you are new here, if you support us at the $15 a month level, uh, you get priority recommendations, which is why we did uh, Dolan's Cadillac Mm -hmm. recently. And we have a lot more planned out for the coming months. Almost one a month. Yeah. Ish in that ballpark. We have
1: several requests in right now, so I'm. Yeah. You know, we're kind of trying to kind of
0: work you know, through them,
1: work through those and get to what people have requested.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we got them kind of spaced out over the coming months. So you can look for it before the end of the year. We have it like two or three more, I think.
1: A, f- a few Something more. like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: In that ballpark. So uh that's what you get when you support us at the $15 level. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you all very much for that. Let's go ahead and talk about what people had to say about Dolan's Cadillac. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just
1: like, uh, your opinion, man So we didn't get tons of feedback Which I was kind of expecting This is a lesser known King property mm-hmm. And it seemed like the movie like You said it was like a direct to
0: DVD uh, Direct yeah. to video Release, didn't get a theatrical right. release um, Low budget uh, it Had some names In it, but not huge names right. Or anything like that, so yeah uh,
1: So on Facebook we had three votes All of them were for the book uh, no comments on Facebook. Nobody weighed in. On Twitter, we had seven votes. Six of them were for the book, and one for the movie. But whoever decided they to vote for the why. movie was not brave enough to defend wow. their stance.
0: You call out, calling you out. Tell us why in the world. <laughs> I mean, you could have a reason. We just want to hear it. So
1: yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious to know. Mm-hmm. Why someone would prefer the movie. But we did have a couple comments. Um, one from Matt Nelson at Matt W. Nelson. Who said, haven't seen the movie except for clips. But I could tell it definitely was not a quality experience. I mean, I don't know what about our conversation gave you that idea, Matt. <laughs> but
0: Yes. May or may not have been the case.
1: And then we had um, quite a bit of feedback from... Uh, Shelby at Shelby Suderman.
0: As we would expect, since this was the movie, she recommended.
1: <laughs> yes, this uh, Shelby is an Academy Award winner patron, and she put in this request for Dolan's Cadillac. We said, okay. She did let's specifically do it specifically
0: because it's she said it's like her favorite it's Stephen King of, short yeah, one story. It's one of her right? favorite
1: King, uh, favorite
0: King stories.
1: Yeah. Um But I think she had not seen the she movie seen the either movie. Mm-hmm. until we were going to do it. So she
0: just knew she's also a fan of good, better, bad, bad, I believe. So that wouldn't, you know, there were a little bit of that in there. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: Um, So here's what Shelby had to say. What really makes the short story work for me is how grounded it feels compared to typical revenge stories. I think this movie should have taken a page out of the book slash movie Rebecca, where the title character is more felt and not seen with their presence hanging over the protagonist. It's a similar feeling in the story. In a way, Book Dolan feels like the boogeyman. He's an incredibly dangerous person with a lot of power who's managed to keep that power for a long time. He's smart enough to keep track of who'd want him dead, and he's paranoid enough to sense when something isn't right. This makes Robinson's perspective paranoid, too, because we never know when he's watching or how much he knows at any moment. The story gives us a David and Goliath scenario and asks, in the real world, without the scenes in typical revenge movies where the characters would have died if they weren't in a movie, how would this everyman type murder a larger-than-life mobster? He can't do anything suspicious, like take up shooting or getting a job at Dolan's favorite restaurant, because it would draw Dolan's notice and he'd just have Robinson killed. Robinson needs something less obvious, and what he comes up with at least feels like it could work. And we did talk about that Mm -hmm. a little bit in our episode. It does feel like something that's reasonable that could work. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Shelby went on to say, for me, Dolan immediately figuring out Robinson is behind the trap shows us that Dolan did, in fact, notice Robinson suddenly taking up an interest in road construction, but either couldn't see how it was a trap or dismissed it as the years passed and nothing else happened. Book Dolan is frightening, even when he's scared and caught in a trap. The movie took the unique murder idea threw out that grounding and made a very typical revenge story out of it, including the scenes where Dolan could have easily could have killed Robinson but didn't in short, Movie Robinson would have been killed by Book Dolan long before he could try anything, and Book Robinson could have easily killed Movie Dolan without resorting to burying him alive. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could have been adapted into a really intense, paranoid thriller. Maybe bring Sylvester Stallone back to play Dolan and cast Brian Cranston as Robinson. A movie could expand on the paranoia already present in the story, but I don't think we'll get to see that. And I think that's a good point. I think they could have done something really like cool and kind yeah. of psychological with this story. Yeah, I
0: think, I think this movie uh, done by uh, whatever the guy who wrote Um, Breaking Bad
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is a is that's definitely has the right vibe, yeah, for this kind of film, Uh, and yeah, Cranston playing somebody like Robinson makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, So yeah, I can see.
1: Yeah, I think they could have done something cool with it, but like Shelby said, instead we got like a very typical kind of revenge story movie. Yep. And then Shelby also said, "I also hate that the movie updated what kind of Cadillac it was." So
0: I assume it was like a. It
1: is a Cadillac DeVille,
0: which is like a yeah, like a a, a, a sedan. I yeah. believe it's not like a big SUV.
1: Yeah, in the movie, it's like a like an armored
0: SUV. Yeah, SUV. which makes sense. I I, I, yeah, I guess it in the ma- modern makes day, sense in make the modern day, but you would have to do more of a period piece, I think, probably mm-hmm. for it to make more sense in the movie. But yeah, yeah.
1: but then we couldn't have Robinson yeah you gotta have that talking out the
0: the sunroof or the
1: the 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 website address oh also yes you need a computer obviously
0: (laughs) obviously you need a computer and a sunroof all of these are very important elements so (laughs) all right that's our feedback for dolan's cadillac we appreciate that very much let's go ahead now and learn about why your fave is problematic stephanie meyer edition no matter what anybody tells you Words and ideas can change the world. This is obvious. This one's easy. It's easy. Relatively speaking.
1: But I want to talk about it because I don't want to ignore it.
0: No, oh, yeah, definitely not. Oh, we've touched on it throughout
1: the Yeah, we episodes. have. Yeah. We have. But I did want to kind of dedicate a specific segment to discussing this. Yeah. And if you are relatively new here... These learning things segments are not really meant to be comprehensive. Ooh. They're overviews. Um, they're intended to be short because these are, are shorter episodes. Primers. That being said, if you feel like there's something that I missed mm-hmm. that you would like to talk about, feel free to... Tweet us, yeah. and I would be delighted to go on discussing <laughs>
0: Absolutely. how
1: problematic Stephanie Meyer is. Yes, yes. So, I have divided this into three main segments. First segment, this is one of the biggest and most common criticisms leveled at Twilight, and that is that it is anti-feminist and that it glorifies traditional gender roles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now... The way that we define and discuss what feminism is has changed a lot since 2005 when the first book came changed out. changed a lot
0: since 2015. It has. <laughs> it has. Yeah.
1: And we've touched on this throughout the summer series. I, I think Bella does have mm-hmm. some positive qualities. She's clearly smart. She holds her own among characters who clearly outpower her. She knows what she wants, and she negotiates her way to getting it.
0: She's not a doormat, which you might be led to believe, based on what some people would say. Right, based on series. some like, of
1: the less thought-out
0: criticism. Yeah, just if just as like a if you had never read it, you didn't never seen the movies, you had just heard, you know, some you had seen a couple tweets or something. Like you might think that she's literally like a complete pushover and just like yeah. Yeah. Um, completely at the whim of all the men in her life and that sort of thing. And like the super aggressive character. And while you are going to get into it, it's not as bad as that. Right. It's There's- not
1: as bad as that. It's not as black and white as that. Yeah. But still, I wouldn't go so far as to call this a feminist story, nor would I say that Bella is a good or really even okay role model. Have you noticed, as we've been reading, that with each passing book, we hear less and less of anything about Bella that's removed from either Edward or Jacob? Yeah. Because I've really noticed that Mm -hmm. upon this reread. Like, Twilight, Bella was okay. She had her own interests. She had her own goals. But by Breaking Dawn... Her interests are really having sex with Edward and becoming a vampire so she can be with Edward forever and also be his equal looks and power wise. Yes. And those things are also her goals.
0: Yes. Yeah. Her her character becomes Edward, essentially. Yeah, essentially. And, and, her, what, and the, her friendship with Jacob to some extent, but basically just Edward and vice versa.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's a huge stretch to look at that aspect of the story as a particularly unsubtle women should submit to men type of message. Yeah. Especially when your primary audience is young girls. Yeah. But I think we can also look at a more concrete example of traditional gender roles in Twilight by looking at how Bella primarily spends her time when she's not with Edward, which is largely cleaning the house and cooking for her father <laughs> yes
0: yes yes
1: i mean on the morning of her wedding in breaking dawn did you catch this no the morning of her wedding she gets up early cleans and then makes pancakes That's for right. charlie and... on the morning of her wedding yes i want someone to <laughs> feed me breakfast on the morning of my wedding uh
0: if you don't make me pancakes on our my wedding morning wedding's off <laughs>
1: Pre-divorce, preemptive divorce, right there. I, she reads sometimes.
0: Yeah, but sometimes, like, but not even since. Not really since. No, I guess she didn't in Eclipse because there's a whole Wuthering Heights thing. A little bit, but, but yeah, she reads sometimes. She reads
1: sometimes. sometimes, sometimes.
0: And since she is our point of view character, because I, I would say the same thing about Edward. Like, I and I've mentioned that in episodes. Like, he has no. Notable interests or motivations or goals outside of being with Bella. Yeah. But he's also not a point of view character. We're not with him as much. Right. As much.
1: And honestly, I don't know if the problem is more of... She wants to put an emphasis On these traditional gender roles Or maybe she just like Stephanie Meyer just like lacks the Imagination not to Or maybe she's just bad at Developing characters
0: I think it's a little bit of all of it I, I get the vibe from a lot of Not everything and we're going to get to some of the other Ones here eventually I think the religious angles Particularly maybe a more conscious Thing but I think with these gender role Things I don't think this because I've, I've talked about how I I would imagine that Stephanie Meyer would probably say she is a feminist of some sort. Yeah, and and I, I think a lot of this isn't like conscious or intentional. I think it's a lot of it is just like her her upbringing and what she she
1: is s- writing what she, she knows. she's writing what she yeah. knows,
0: and so her characters turn out as um, sort of very uh, trad wife like <laughs> yeah uh, archetypes. Um and it uh yeah and and I don't think it's necessarily like a conscious choice to make them that way versus just like writing what she knows. Yeah, it would be my guess. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but it,
1: yeah, I think she's writing what she knows, and I, 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 I do just think she's not a particularly good writer.
0: Yeah, like yes. th-
1: there are, there are things that I think she can do reasonably well, but overall, would I say she's a good writer? No, no,
0: <laughs>
1: no. And while we're here on the subject of like gender roles and all that jazz, I just want to point out that the LGBT plus community seemingly just does not exist. No. In Meyer's fictional world.
0: Yeah. There's one reference in Breaking Dawn that I've seen. Is there? There's a, Well, not to any character being... Part of that community but a joke at the expense Of one of the characters potentially being Part of that so uh somebody Makes it an apple I wrote a note about it In uh, because I'm I'm a couple hundred pages into Breaking Dawn uh
1: yeah I'm not as Far in as you uh
0: let's see if I can find it real Quick and I
1: have like no memory of this book Except for like the big plot points
0: Hold on um Oh Jacob jokes that Quill Might So Quill's talking about because Quill has imprinted On uh, Rachel I th- no um some somebody one of mm-hmm. some either heck there's so many new characters and, like all of a sudden Jacob has a sister I was like well, okay great um but J- Quill has imprinted on somebody oh, it's the little girl it's the 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 2 year old or whatever and and Jacob makes a joke about he goes well other girls just don't catch my eye anymore since I imprinted on her or whatever mm-hmm. and Jacob makes a joke about oh maybe t- t- try going out with guys or something like he makes a joke like Oh, girls don't catch your eye, but you know you could go on dates with dudes or so. Like, there's like a weird throwaway joke yeah. that's. And again, I'm I'm just saying that there's like the only like overt reference to even to to, to non cis hetero people even existing in this universe. Yeah. So
1: I don't. I thought about trying to make this its own point, but I was like, there's like not really anything to unpack or no. go into detail about because that element literally just isn't there
0: and there are interesting probably deconstructions and analysis of this text through a queer lens oh yeah and, and we talked i talked a little bit about it um some of what i got about sort of jacob and the his um eventual transformation and becoming a werewolf and that you you could potentially read that uh, uh through a, a, a like a gay coding like lens type of thing but yeah, so there's stuff out there. There's probably media out there to digest in that regard. But yeah, they're in the text. There's just yeah, nothing. Yeah, like to, within
1: the text, there's not aside from like apparently this one tasteless joke. Yeah, I, it, it, no. there aren't any characters who that we know of that are on. No. The,
0: uh, no. Alice, and Bella, <laughs> but Stephanie in Meyer our, doesn't in realize. <laughs> she just doesn't only. realize.
1: Uh, maybe. Um, Which so then I think that is a nice segue into my second category, which is the religious agenda, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that has been discussed quite a bit. Yes. Uh, So the Twilight books don't mention religion specifically. Um, but Meyer's Mormon faith still very clearly informs her work. And she has said as much herself. She's stated in interviews that the Book of Mormon was the book with the most significant impact on my life. Um, she's also stated, unconsciously, I put a lot of my basic beliefs into the story. Free agency as a big theme, as is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, Now, some of this, I think, is is kind of subtle and not necessarily harmful. Subtle if you're not familiar with Mormonism, which I would grant that a lot of people reading the books probably aren't. For example, Mormonism teaches a belief in eternal families and eternal marriage, uh, the idea that families can be sealed to one another so that they remain together forever, even after death in a story about eternal vampires who are bonded together as family. It's not really hard to see the inspiration there. Yeah. Harmful probably. And there's not. also even
0: even just the sort of generic allusions which uh, yeah, you don't have here too um uh like like the Carlisle and her discuss God at one point and their mm-hmm. soul and 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 sort of that's a very common vampire story. Sort of element, regardless, is sort of vampires and whether or not you know are they damned forever because and, right. uh, and sort of discussing their immortal souls and what happens to them when they die and whether or not God exists in a universe with vampires like that's a like because that's touched on a little bit,
1: a little bit, but that's yeah, that's a fairly common like a, vampire yeah. story trope yeah. anyway. Um, but there are more clear examples of kind of typical religious agenda on display. For example, Edward's insistence on abstinence, waiting until they're married to have sex, lest they run the risk of endangering Bella's soul. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you jive with that and maybe you don't. Yeah. Personally. But we live in a society.
0: Really? (laughs) This is the first I'm hearing (laughs) in a society.
1: (laughs) Boy, do we live in a society. But my point is when the larger context is a world in which Abstinence-based sex education results in higher rates of both unplanned pregnancies and STIs. It's pretty dismaying to see that thought process pushed from something that was so popular yeah. with teenage girls. And
0: this is one that feels, unlike as I mentioned earlier, sort of just the the, the gender role type thing that felt sort of unconscious. This yeah, feels. This
1: feels purposeful. These
0: these religious ones feel very intentional. Yeah. They feel like very uh, clear choices to push a um, a moral framework, uh, and and basically present a thesis of like this is good. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then there's the big example, which
0: is which that alone isn't necessarily a bad thing to do in your story. I don't have a problem with authors putting a message in their story, but I just disagree. We disagree with the message. So,
1: right. Yeah. We disagree with the message. And then there's the larger context of
0: the world. The the, the, harm that that message (laughs) does. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, So then there's the big example, right? Bella's pregnancy. Yeah. And her insistence on continuing it despite the fact that it is very literally (laughs) killing her. Literally killing her. Very literal. It's not subtle, folks. (laughs) No. It's not subtle. Now I think it's important to note here that Mormonism does allow abortion in instances where the mother's life is in danger. Bella chooses to continue the pregnancy, which is where you could theoretically come in with mm-hmm. a counter argument, right? Well, she chose; yeah. it was her choice. Yeah,
0: and that is her choice. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes, sure.
1: But again we live in a society (laughs) and the context of that society is one that is constantly seeking to remove that choice from women most frequently through messaging that insists on the sanctity of life while ignoring that the mother's life is still very much a life yes the message that bella is doing the right thing by sacrificing herself in order to give birth is again pretty bleak in the greater context of the world around us
0: mm-hmm.
1: meyer has stated that bella's pregnancy and childbirth were for her a way to kind of explore that concept of what childbirth birth used to be in the past now i was not able to access this full interview yeah. so i can't provide more context but wolf yeah Uh, Maybe this isn't what Meyer meant, but I can't ignore the connection between Bella dying while giving birth and childbirth being historically one of the most frequent causes of death for women. And then to top that off, that connection off with the fact that the story very much portrays this as Bella making the right decision, the good decision, the moral decision. Yeah. That's a yikes for me.
0: Yeah, and, and on top of that, on top of that, it also it, it it once again it reinforces the idea that not only does it have this messaging about abortion and and it you know very clearly being saying it's it the the, the message of this of the of Bella's um, pregnancy is that it's worth the mother giving up her life mm-hmm. to give birth to this child. It, it also. Over having an abortion, which is one of the options offered in the book, um, basically Carlisle and them—they're like we—they—they they want to give her an abortion, basically, so that she won't die from this yeah. child or this child that's in her. But apart from that, the whole question of abortion is the is the 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 importance and the value that sort of—and this to me feels less conscious as opposed to the very overt like conscious anti-abortion message—is the value it places on women as. Uh, on people who who can give birth to to children as that being the thing that of value that they should value that mm-hmm. is necessarily of value. Yeah. You know what I mean? It puts an extra amount of value on the idea of giving birth in general. Um and that's sort of inherent within a pro-life message yeah. in general. Uh it's they kind of tend to go hand in hand. But um I think that is sort more of sort of a more subtle and still um uh, problematic uh point of view is that idea that because it's not something that Bella has ever wanted then all of a sudden it's just instantly it becomes this like
1: instantly all it, consuming, yeah, it like, becomes her
0: purpose yeah yeah and 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 uh, you know and, right
1: whereas prior to her getting pregnant we've had the, they have this conversation in the book and she's kind of um put up against characters like Mm Rosalie or like Esme, who wanted to have children, but now can't because they are vampires. Yeah. And Bella is always like, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. I I don't want that. I don't, I don't care.
0: Yeah. I don't care. But then very quickly, all of a sudden she
1: does. All all of a sudden that is everything. That is everything. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Again, placing this, this massive importance on the ability to, to give birth as this sort of, sacred thing which which for people that it it, that's not to downplay the importance for people that want it and want to do that or you know to say that it's not uh, a beautiful thing for people that want that or whatever you know what i mean but like it, it, it the the change in her character um so suddenly does imply this sort of strange like otherworldly like it it adds a moral weight and a moral like value to it that is to me not uh, is problematic because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's something that society already enforces constantly.
1: All right. So that brings us to my third and final bullet point here. And this is where we get to some really twisty stuff. Now this problematic aspect of Myers writing, I think has been largely overshadowed by the more obvious gender and religion issues that we've already touched on. but, I've seen more people talk about it recently. I've seen more of it lately. In the wake of Midnight Sun being Mm -hmm. released, and that is race. Now, the way that Meyer writes about race, again, isn't necessarily surface level, but it also isn't super subtle once you start looking for it. And the most obvious cue is in how she describes the vampires. Mm-hmm. Purely blindingly white. Yes. Marble, alabaster, every single synonym for white that you can possibly think of. And while there are evil and immoral vampire characters, the main vampires, the Collins, are held up as examples of extreme goodness. Yeah. They are so good they have found a way to defy their very nature. Through their goodness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Bella often describes them as being like angels, the ultimate symbol of virtue. Now, associating these images capitalizes on a notion that is already entrenched in most readers' minds: that whiteness means goodness.
0: I think it's also uh, very likely it draws from her Mormon. From my my minimal understanding of you don't do you don't touch on that, do you? Mm-mm. the mormon okay so there's from my understanding that also could very likely tie into and now mormonism has a lot of different sects a lot of different versions of it and i think in more modern versions it's it's it, they've sort of divorced from this but i think traditionally there's this there's the big divide where there's a um like literally all of the evil people were like dark skinned in mm-hmm. mormon like the mormon uh like holy books and mythology yeah. and it was all of the, the holy people were white people uh, I don't know and anything I can't remember it was like the curse mormonism. of of the of, Oh the
1: curse of it's not the the curse of um Cain
0: Cain mark of Is Cain it, yeah, maybe yeah of Cain. it was upon them and they and and that and that the way it reads in mormonism and again I am going on a very <laughs> rough memory I have from videos and the stuff I've read years ago but I you know that may be somewhat of what's feeding into this Potentially, it's I don't know.
1: entirely possible. Um, but so so we have that color coding, right, with the vampires, and then we can compare that with Meyer's characters of color who are subject to a similar kind of color coding. Um, Jacob is often described as having dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. His last name is even black in a particularly unsubtle move. I don't think that Jacob is meant to represent evil or badness, but Mm -hmm. if white equals good, then the rest is also pretty simple math. Yeah. Sam is an even better example of the black equals bad color coding. If we think about the description of his wolf form, Jacob and the other wolves have brown or red fur, but Sam has dark black fur. In Eclipse, we learn that the wolf's physical appearance is a reflection of what the man inside is like. Quill even says at one point, so that's why Sam is all black. Black heart, black fur.
0: Is this a spoiler?
1: Maybe. Okay.
0: Because I don't, I was like, Sam's just the leader and like a dude. I don't know. This feels like a spoiler for me.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) It's fine. Um, And this kind of color coding isn't the only racially charged trope that Meyer utilizes throughout her writing. She also uses the very common, very pervasive trope of making her vampires white and associated with aristocracy, while the people of color are werewolves, aka literally dogs. Yes. And that is, again, that's not something she invented. That's pretty common in fantasy writing. Yes. Um.
0: We talked about it a bit yeah. with uh, with with Tolkien um, and the orcs and yes, and then and, and the racializing of, of different races and that the racializing of <laughs> but the rooting of uh, the racialism uh, in, in fantasy within real world. Right. Where races. right
1: where characters of color tend to be depicted as like animalistic.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, or, or even downright Less evil sometimes yeah. or like like and uh, you know there was a recent thing where Dungeons and Dragons came out recently and said okay orcs don't have to be um a- aligned evil <laughs> like as a rule like you can make them orcs can just be um, you know, you can have any alignment yeah. of work you want because it's we don't we're not we're not buying it, we're not we're not buying into the idea that whole races are just evil anymore, which I think is you know makes a lot of sense,
1: right? And here, you know, with this kind of thing, it's not necessarily that the werewolves are evil, right? right? No, no, no. maybe in some properties, but not in this one. No, no. It's more of a, you know, they're associated with being animalistic, with being primitive. less civilized, yeah, with being primitive. Yeah. That's where the ickiness comes in. Yeah. Now these allegations of racism actually get even worse when we start dipping into the movies. Uh Katherine Hardwick, who directed Twilight, um gave an interview in 2018 where she alleged that Meyer fought tooth and nail against a more diverse cast, stating and I was like, oh, my God, I want the vampires. I want them all. Alice, I wanted her to be Japanese. I had all these ideas. And she just could not accept the Collins to be more diverse. Mm. Now, according to Hardwick, Meyer was quick to defend her stance by pointing out that she described the vampires as having glistening white skin. Uh. So we ended up with the villain, Laurent Being black, as well as a couple of Bella's classmates, minor characters, yeah,
0: completely being people of
1: color, yeah, not even, not even like like the main main people that she hangs out with, yeah. yeah.
0: Not that Mike is a person of color would be a great representation (laughs) in her movie, but he 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 might be worse than Laurent, honestly.
1: I mean, I, I will say I get Mike as a douchey white
0: guy. <laughs> yeah, that that might that be tracks. appropriate. That casting tracks.
1: <laughs> um, now I believe some of the Quillu tribe actors are native, but not all of them. Uh, Taylor Lautner, in, in particular, particular yeah. has been suspiciously vague about this. Stating he stated that he has distant native ancestry yeah. through his mother's side which is usually white people speak for probably not probably, yeah
0: maybe maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe maybe
1: somewhere way back maybe, but yeah. probably not <laughs> and that brings us then to more recent controversy um, with the publication of midnight sun many readers including yours truly Mm -hmm. have returned to the world of twilight with a more critical and often more educated eye. And a lot of people have been voicing discomfort with the way that Meyer incorporated the Quilute people into her story, calling it exploitative. And it is true that she invented things and then slapped the Quilute name on them. It's also true that she profited from her creations. Now here's, I think the problem with that is that the Quileute are real people.
0: Yeah, like a few hundred, like, right? Yeah, <laughs> like a thousand or something? They, they're a fairly
1: small tribe, but they're real. Yeah. They exist. Yeah, And at the moment, they are fighting to raise money to move their tribal school and other village fixtures to higher ground as they currently sit in a tsunami zone. Uh, Stephanie Meyer is worth approximately $125 million. I can't find any evidence that she's donated a cent their way after profiting off of their name, culture, and traditions. Even if
0: you're just the most awful person. Right? It's such an easy obvious. It's such an, obvious, an easy
1: and obvious PR move.
0: Like, even if you don't have good reasons at all, which is astounding to me, but even if you have no good intentions behind it, even if you just want to make it, like, why would you not toss ten million dollars? Uh, whatever, right? I do not understand. It's mind blowing.
1: I, I know it, and it's it's chump change to it's people chump like change. this. Yeah, it's, it's, she's it's, not gonna miss it. No,
0: no. She could literally, yeah. She
1: could probably move their whole entire school yeah. herself. Yeah. I don't know how much it costs, but she yeah. could probably
0: do it. I would imagine with the with the money, yeah. If she's worth $125 million. Obviously, a yeah. lot of that's not in liquid assets, but even still, there's the, no way yeah. that that's not <laughs> completely doable. Yeah.
1: But I, yeah, I, I can't find any evidence that she has made any donations to them. I couldn't find any evidence that they received, like, any kind of proceeds from the twilight series yeah you know
0: some of them got invited to the red carpet one time (laughs) so that you know hey hey (laughs) so we'll be
1: sharing a link to the quileute tribes move to higher ground information and donation page on our twitter and facebook We will be making a donation, and if you have been listening to and enjoying our Twilight Summer series, or if you have been hating it, (laughs) we encourage you to do the
0: same. Stick it to Stephanie Meyer, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I don't know if she'd be mad about you donating, but probably not.
1: I don't think she cares. She's sitting on $125 million. She
0: probably wouldn't even care. And you
1: know what? I'm just glad she's not tweeting about yeah, it. I would
0: say that's the, I that was like a, in comparison, some of the other authors we've done, if you donated to certain charities would have some mad upset things to say about it. I uh, are talking about JK Rowling. Go, f- uh, go fuck yourself. JK Rowling. God. We're going to have to, we have to add a fucking addendums to I all know, of our Harry Potter episodes. Good Christ. That's a whole discussion for another day. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, that's it for our learning things segment. That's uh, not all of the ways by any stretch, uh, and we and we've been like we said we've been talking about them during the episodes. We'll have more to say. I have plenty of notes so oh, well, far. I'm,
1: in, we'll have plenty to say. I have about plenty Breaking to Dawn. say so
0: far in Breaking Dawn uh, about um, Stephanie Meyer and, and the messaging yeah. and, and, and themes and that sort of stuff.
1: Um, can I just get you guys amped for these episodes? The other night we were sitting in bed and we were both <laughs> reading Breaking Dawn, and out of nowhere, you turned to me and said. This one is not good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I was about 200 something pages in, in that ballpark. and I, yeah, Not that the other ones have been great by any stretch, but boy, oh boy. And I'm not even that far in yet, <laughs> but I'm seeing dominoes line up. This is going to be a nightmare. Uh, it's really not good so far. Um, so... I'm. I, I want to say I'm excited to finish it, but I'm. I'm. woof.
1: So get hype, everybody.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of Breaking Dawn, let's go ahead and talk about the book and learn about some book facts. You ready?
1: Yeah. Just don't let me fall dead. Never. I Edward Cullen. Take you, Bella Swan. For better or for
0: worse? To love. To cherish. As long as we both shall live. This is how I'll remember you. Pink cheeks. Heartbeat. I think I'd be used to telling you goodbye by now.
1: All right, breaking dawn? Published in 2008, it is the fourth and final novel in the Twilight Saga. Uh, It deviates from the previous three books in that it is divided (laughs) into three sections, and Bella is not the only narrator. I had to go peek at where you were in the book to make sure this wasn't a big spoiler. I have gotten past that part, yeah. Bella narrates sections one and three, while section two is narrated by Jacob. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm like 3 or 4, I don't know. I'm a handful of chapters into the Jacob section, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading this for the first time and getting to his section and just being like, what the
0: Yeah, that was a surprise. What the fuck is she on about? Yeah, that was a surprise. And one of my notes is, "Boy, I didn't think there was anybody's head I would like to be in less than Edward." Oh. <laughs> oh no. It's Jacob. Oh, it's Jacob. <laughs>
1: Uh, Shortly after writing Twilight, Meyer wrote a book titled Forever Dawn, which was a direct sequel to Twilight, Um, and that became the basis for breaking Dawn. The basic storyline remained the same, um, but Forever Dawn was narrated completely from Bella's point of view. Uh, The werewolves and Jacob were only sketchily developed, and Victoria and Laurent were both still alive, obviously. Um, That manuscript, again, then was developed and changed as Mm -hmm. Meyer wrote New Moon and Eclipse. Uh, Meyer has said that she may someday post extras if I ever have time to go back through the Forever Dawn manuscript. It's just as long as Breaking Dawn. (laughs) So now that she's gotten a taste for dipping her toes back into the Twilight world, I I bet we're going to see that fairly soon. I... I don't know if she'd publish it traditionally because it wouldn't really make sense to, no, I guess. But, yeah. but I, my guess is we're going to see some of that start to roll out. Oh, so get hype for that, guys. <laughs> uh, Meyer decided to include the pregnancy in her story while she was researching vampires early in 2003 and came across the legend of the Incubus a demon who could father children. Uh, Meyer has said in an interview that the birth scene that was published is a little less grotesque than the one she (laughs) wrote before editing editing due to her editor, agent, and the publisher's request to, quote, tone down the violence a little. All right. The cover of Breaking Dawn is a metaphor... (laughs)
0: I don't remember what it is Because they no.
1: always are. Oh, I have the book Because you have the movie, movie tie version. In, it's just, yeah.
0: it's just Jake or Edward and Bella like hugging. Like.
1: Um, it's a chessboard.
0: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: With uh, the white it's chess piece and the red chess piece in the background.
0: I, I do vaguely remember the chessboard.
1: Yes. Now, yeah. Um, So it is a metaphor because the covers are always metaphors except for New Moon. Um, yeah, what? It's a metaphor for Bella's progression. Throughout the entire series, she began as the physically weakest player on the board, the pawn, but at the end, she becomes the strongest, the queen. Ah. Uh. It's all very good and subtle. Yes. Breaking Dawn was one of the most anticipated books of 2008. It was probably my most anticipated book of 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, It sold 1.3 million copies in the U.S. and 20,000 copies in the U.K. in its first 24 hours of release, as well as 100,000 copies in Canada during its first weekend. It debuted at number one on USA Today's top 150 bestsellers list and went on to spend over 58 weeks on that list. Critical reception of Breaking Dawn was mixed.
0: (laughs) Can't imagine why.
1: Kara Von Rengel Kinsey of School Library Journal responded with a positive review, describing the book as captivating, and noting, while this novel is darker and more mature than the earlier titles, Meyer's twists and turns are not out of character. Publishers Weekly stated... (laughs) Uh,
0: I like to imagine when she says twists and turns, she means in the characters themselves, (laughs) and that that's not out of character for Stephanie Meyer, because she doesn't know how to write characters. But anyways, I saw a quote, I saw a comment on a, a video about Eclipse, Uh, today that made me laugh very hard. And it was one of the things we talked about in the eclipse episode is, and the the quote was Stephanie Meyer doesn't write character or doesn't write character arcs arcs. She writes character cliff dives. And I was like, (laughs) yep.
1: Yeah. Very accurate. accurate. (laughs) Uh, Publishers weekly stated that the main problem with breaking Dawn was that essentially Everyone gets everything they want, even if their desires necessitate an about-face in characterization, (laughs) or the messy introduction of some backstory. Nobody has to renounce anything or suffer more than temporarily. In an article by the Associated Press, journalist Sarah Rose wrote that fans of the series would love engaging characters, great humor, a distracting obsession with beauty, (laughs) focus on the minuté of emotions— However, casual readers may be disappointed with a lot of buildup and little action, (laughs) while The Independent called the book, shockingly, tackily, (laughs) sick-makingly sexist, which is like my favorite quote that I read in every review I looked at. (laughs) Nonetheless, Breaking Dawn was the recipient of a British Book Award for Children's Children's Book of the Year. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) In 2009, I guess um, YA
0: fits in that category.
1: Yeah, probably they probably yeah. lump it together. Um, in the 2009 Children's Choice Book Awards, the novel was chosen as Teen Choice Book of the Year, and Meyer won the Author of the Year award.
0: Wow, uh, she lucked out, by, or either lucked out, or on purpose, or just by sheer timing. This came out the year after. Deathly Hollows. So,
1: yeah, so right. Deathly
0: Hollows was 2007. She would have won none of those awards.
1: <laughs> uh, Meyer has stated in regard to ending the series the Twilight Saga is really Bella's story, and this was the natural place for her story to wind up. She overcame the major obstacles in her path and fought her way to the place she wanted to be. I suppose I could try to prolong her story unnaturally, but it wouldn't be interesting enough to keep me writing. Stories need conflict, and the conflicts that are Bella-centric are resolved. So, at least at some level, she knows that stories need conflict. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I don't know
1: if she knows how to do it. No, I'm not sure. But she knows that thing.
0: Yes, yes. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Breaking Dawn the movie Well sorry Breaking Dawn Part 1
1: I can't see Bella's future anymore
0: We don't know what they've read. We have to protect the tribe Before it's too late You're the enemy now Sam won't hesitate You will be slaughtered I'm starving you by the hour I'm the one who loses. you You have to accept what is You've given me no choice
1: Get ready They're coming for Bella They're not gonna touch her if you kill her, you kill me.
0: Bella. Come on. So, we're going to talk about part two in the mini little uh, prequel episode that we're going to do in between the two main episodes. Um, so I only have notes about part one right now. Breaking Dawn part one is a 2011 film directed by Bill Condon, who uh, we've had a new director for every movie so far. Yes. Bill Condon does do both of the part one and part two, but he is now the fourth director in the series. Uh, he directed Dreamgirls, uh, Kenzie, Gods and Monsters, and the 2017 Beauty and the Beast. Mm. So that's among other things. He's actually an Academy Award winning uh, writer. It was written once again by Melissa Rosenberg, who was written every single one of them and is also known for Jessica Jones and Dexter. And it stars all of our same main cast, plus new people. But I to list them all out. The film had a budget of one hundred and ten million dollars. And it pulled in a worldwide box office of $712 million. On opening weekend, the movie made $291 million, making it the 10th largest worldwide opening of all time. It is the 4th highest grossing film of 2011 and the 50th highest grossing movie of all time. This film is rated 25% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and has a 45 out of 100 on Metacritic. Let's recap them all now. Eclipse was forty-eight percent fresh and had a fifty-eight on Metacritic. New Moon twenty-eight percent fresh and forty-four on Metacritic. And Twilight was forty-nine percent fresh and fifty-six on Metacritic, making this the worst-reviewed of the franchise thus far. Technically, it has one point higher Metacritic score than New Moon, but it's three percent lower on Rotten Tomatoes. So, averaging out, it's,
1: I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> it's slightly lower than New Moon, which I still don't necessarily understand. I didn't think new moon was that bad i I think of the movies it might be my favorite so far honestly um but whatever uh so whether or not this movie would be split into two was of much discussion uh since under contract for only four films Kristen stewart robert pattinson and taylor lautner their their status for doing two if they split it was in question Uh. so they were unlikely at first to split it because they were only on contract for four films and obviously they split it that would be five films Um, producer wick godfrey stated that all three main cast members were signed on to one breaking dawn film but eventually all were confirmed for a fifth movie which i'm assuming was achieved by throwing a buttload of money at them would be my guess because they obviously can't recast one would think (laughs) they can't recast all the main characters i would
1: love to know how much money they had to throw at robert pattinson yes
0: Yes, that's that's one of the things. That's one of the things that I thought was interesting. And I assume they had to throw a buttload of money at them because obviously Robert Pattinson famously not, and I yes. think even Kristen Stewart, like none yeah. of them particularly liked these movies. And uh,
1: but Pattinson most famously, Pat, Pattinson
0: most famously throughout the process. Yeah, and uh, and I think that the fact that they were under only under contract for four films made it seem very likely that. <laughs> If they wanted them to do a fifth movie, they would have had to just back a a dump truck full of money up to the, yeah. to, to their house. Which I'm sure they did. Uh, in March 2010, it was announced that Summit was searching for an Academy Award-winning, nominating directors to helm the project. They had names like, uh, these names are thrown around in the mix, Sofia Coppola, Gus Van Zandt, and Bill Condon. All were rumored to have been approached to direct. Reportedly, Robert Pattinson wanted Gus Van Zandt, uh on April 2018 or April 28th of 2010, someone announced that Bill Condon would direct this is these are some great quotes here. All of the film, Condon said, Quote, I'm very excited to get the chance to bring the climax of this saga to life on screen. As fans of the series know, this is a one-of-a-kind book, and we're hoping to create an equally unique cinematic experience. <laughs> <laughs> Which is boy, that's a way to put that. <laughs> but he does also say. The very nice folks at Summit, they sent me the novel. I loved it. I quickly imprinted on the material.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, I would love to know. He says that they sent him the novel. Do you think that he read the first three?
0: Or just 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 jumped straight
1: straight into breaking into
0: Breaking Dawn? Yeah, I don't know. That's true. That's interesting. I have no idea. So uh, apparently Robert Pattinson took boat driving lessons so that he could drive the boat to the island, to Isle Esme. Uh, despite taking lessons, supposedly he crashed the boat in both of the lessons and while filming in Brazil. <laughs> supposedly. Are we sure that it wasn't sabotage? Yeah, he may have been done doing it on purpose. Uh, so for the infamous birth scene, a puppet... <laughs> And a real three-week-old baby were used. And this is the most disgusting fact I've ever had on this show. Strawberry jam and cream cheese were mixed and used to simulate (laughs) the aftermath of of birth.
1: Oh, wow. That makes me (laughs) never want to eat a bagel again. I
0: love a bagel with cream cheese and jam. (laughs) That's the
1: grossest. That's Uh, the grossest thing I've ever heard.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. So I thought this was fascinating. The sex scene between Edward and Bella originally caused the film to receive an R rating by the MPAA. The scene had to be reshot and edited to receive a PG-13 rating. According to interviews, Robert Pattinson and Bill Condon blamed Kristen Stewart's wild, (laughs) quote, thrusting during filming oh condon said quote well i think that's true Kristen got very into it i hate to be clinical but there are guidelines on thrusting intercourse not to make people too excited it was never explicit but i think any movement said, that suggested that it is what it that any any movement that suggests that it is what the mpaa object to i don't know i can't Parse that last part of the sentence. But, anyways, Kristen Stewart later said in an interview that filming Bella and Edward's honeymoon sex scene was hard to do, but she was very happy (laughs) with the final (laughs) result. (laughs) Uh, It's also hilarious to me. I don't know much about Taylor Lautner, and his role is slightly less. But both Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart seem like very like progressive, like yeah, at least from what I've seen and read fairly progressive young people. And and they probably it's one of the things you get into the Twilight series. You don't really like if they have only read the first book or, you know, like well, they,
1: right. you read the yeah, first book like, oh, and you're like, like a, yeah, okay. you know, it's a vampire
0: drama. And then by the fourth book, we're doing like an anti-abortion allegory. Yeah. And like uh, it's like it, that had to go to a place that they were just like, this is not what I thought I was signing up for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, So the wedding scene in part one was the very last scene that the cast and crew shot. It was also shot under tight security. They had a helicopter above the set. Off-duty police officers surrounded the location. And then they used sheets and umbrellas to protect the set from uh, errant photographers trying to snap shots of what was going on. Uh, Supposedly, Kristen Stewart said Taylor Lautner was in tears when the cast watched the unfinished cut. Now, you can decide for yourself... That was the only thing I found. You can decide for yourself what those tears were for <laughs> and why. <laughs> um, uh, this is the first one uh, since Twilight that Jackson Rathbone, who plays Jasper, uh, was had his own hair rather than a wig. Hmm. Uh, he had a wig for, which I believe, I could be wrong about this, was probably because I believe in 2010... He was in was that when he the was in last Avatar? airbender. Oh my god. He was in the last airbender <laughs> as Sokka and he had his he had shaved yeah. his uh his head. He had, the, head. Side he had the side shave. And so I bet for the middle two, that's why oh my
1: god. he
0: had a wig anyway. Yeah, probably. Uh if I I might be wrong on those timelines, but I think the last Airbender movie was twenty ten, so that would line up. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film two and a half stars out of four, which isn't bad, saying that it filled it is filled with a lot of unanswered questions, but he called uh, Kristen Stewart's portrayal of Bella pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> which I've said the whole time. <laughs> she does pretty good. Writing for Rolling Stone, Peter Travers said Breaking Dawn Part One is, quote, the worst Twilight movie yet, and thought Taylor Delautner looked like a, quote, petulant five-year-old. <laughs>
1: I mean, that Which nailed, I mean, nails so far, Jacob.
0: He nailed it. <laughs> uh, Gabriel Chong of Movie Exclusive gave the film four stars out of a possible five. I had to include a positive review here. In the hands of a lesser director, the turn of events could very well descend into farce. Thankfully, then, this movie has found a masterful helmsman in Condon. So that's a good review that I was able to find. <laughs> uh finally breaking dawn part one was nominated for eight Razzie awards so there you go that's it for the movie facts where can you watch this movie you can as always check your local library support your local library get their circulation numbers up if you can't get it from your local library uh on in the u.s it is now on hulu it has been moving around on us
1: (laughs) we had it's moved around a conversation about this the other night
0: it just came it was on amazon prime for a while yeah um, for at least a very brief time
1: we at, watched Eclipse clips on Amazon yeah Prime. we watched
0: the clips on Amazon Prime but as of August 31st it moved off Amazon Prime and it is now on Hulu
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, in the US um, also if you have and but if you have Amazon Prime you could still watch it there but it is through IMDb TV which is the same thing that happened with Dolan's Cadillac yeah. Where uh, you can watch it on IMDb through their website or if you sign in or you can watch it through Amazon Prime, but it links to the IMDb TV where you have to watch it with ads. So that's another option. Um, uh, you can also watch it on if you have a Roku, the Roku channel has it. We get the ads for it on our Roku all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also with ads on there. And or if you have freeform TV through like cable or satellite or dish or something. Uh, which is how we watched the first one is because we had yeah. YouTube TV and we recorded it. Well, no, the
1: first one—that's how we watched New Moon. Watched we New had Moons. to rent it from Amazon. That's Prime, right. We the rented first Amazon one. first we had one. We paid four dollars to rent right. Twilight. I was so mad. Yes,
0: um, but uh, the second one we watched through Freeform TV, uh, which is another option. Or finally, you can rent it for four bucks on pretty much any other service. So those There's, are all ways.
1: The saga of where we watch Twilight has been, like, oh, there, this is twisty, there, Yes, there have stuff. been more ups and downs than the actual <laughs> Twilight saga. This is very it's true. been in a different place for every single movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, those are all the places you can watch it. I'm excited to, to finally wrap this thing up and, and see how it all yes. ends, because I don't know. Uh, boy, I'm like I said, I'm a couple hundred pages in
1: <laughs> so far. I, I am excited to put this reread behind
0: me yes uh it's been it's been interesting it's been fun i have enjoyed it overall it's been a fun time and discussions have been fun but yeah i'm definitely uh i'm definitely ready to not be reading 800 pages of stephanie myers writing every week or every couple weeks (laughs) (laughs) so that's gonna do it for this prequel episode until next time guys gals, non-binary everybody else keep reading books watching movies
1: keep (laughs) being awesome